0: You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. But go ahead and turn in your copy of God's word to John 4. John 4, we'll pick it up in verse 16 and focus our attention in 16 to 26 as we come back to this story at this well in Samaria between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. Now, have you begun to notice uh, how uh, throughout the book of John here, Jesus has this deliberate way of taking things, uh, you know, the way we've always done things, and then showing us something new and something better. It's like he's on a mission here in John that he's bringing out to turn things on their head, things like social norms, relationships that we have, uh, walking with Jesus, how we do church and worship him. It's, it's as if Jesus knows that if we are left to ourselves, we make everything about ourselves. Which makes a mess of everything. And humans have a great track record of making a mess of things. Leave a toddler in a room by themselves for 30 minutes, 3 minutes even, and you will find this truth played out. And so Jesus, in a way that only he can do in this passage yet again, he casts a vision for something greater, uh, setting this woman and setting us free to live a life of worship for his glory and our good. And so Jesus does that. He gets to the heart of our worship, casting a vision for it and setting a trajectory for all who would worship God from this day uh, forward in this passage. And so come back to John 4, come back to the well, and let's see how this conversation continues to develop between Jesus and the woman. I'm going to read it for us here. Again, this is John 4, verses 16 through 26. Follow along in your Bible. It says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had Five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, this is God's word for God's people. Now, we've just picked up the story where we left off last week, but maybe a bit of a. a, a background or going back as an explanation of where we were will be helpful for just a second now jesus is on a divine appointment stopping in samaria at this well jacob's well near sychar and this woman this immoral samaritan woman has uh, happened upon jesus Sitting at the well by himself and imagine her surprise there to find a Jewish man at this well in the middle of the day, maybe she's humming a tune and looking about the beautiful Samaritan landscape, or maybe she's just lost in her thoughts watching uh, her own footsteps when she hears somebody a male voice out of nowhere say, "Give me something to drink that was interesting is. Think about last week there. We're never told if she actually complies. Did she give him a drink or is Jesus still thirsty this whole time? The reality is she's astonished. She's shocked by the conversation. She's shocked by the questions that he's asking. She's a woman. She's an outcast. She's a Samaritan. And there's multiple strikes against her and that make this for a massively awkward conversation. But Jesus just jumps right over the social boundaries that are supposed to exist and engages her at the heart. If you knew who I am. And along the way, she doesn't seem to be getting it, but she is beginning to see something different in this man. He surely must be somebody greater than Jacob, and he's leading her to a place where she will ask, and, and she does ask for it in verse 15, for this water, this life that Jesus is offering her. And in this, uh, as she asks for it, he c- continues to cut to the heart, asking her and pointing out something about her life. See, he has some additional things to look or to point out for she's an adulteress looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places and in all the wrong people. Leading to these questions about worship, but maybe you're asking, well, what does it have to do? What does her life have to do with worship? Well, here's the point that Jesus is making and what he's bringing us here is that the only one who satisfies is the only one worthy of our worship. Write that down in your notes, write it there in the margins of your Bible. The connection in this passage, the conversation, how it is developing and unfolding uh, leads us to make this a central claim about the text that the only one who satisfies, or we could even add who truly, eternally satisfies, is the only one worthy of our worship. The question that remains then is where and how and in whom do we find it? The satisfaction and to where and to whom and to how do we direct our worship? And even as you can see this in the text, this theme of worship, maybe we need to stop and just define it for a moment. It's a word that we use so often and it could just simply be defined as giving glory to something or giving glory to some. One, to give honor and adoration to this singer, this person expressing value and worth. That's just simply what it means to worship. And we're pretty good, as humans as uh, to worshiping all manner of things, all manner of created things. We can worship a sports team because their victory gives us some, uh, some, some meaning in our life, makes us feel victorious. And when they lose... We feel some measure of disappointment, right? As if we had stock in the game by any means. We can can worship our kids because they give value to our lives and we see what they uh, mean to us. We worship our work because it can make us feel significant about ourselves as we are productive. And yet each of these good created things will always disappoint at some point for they are merely temporary and cannot bear the burden of our worship. Our worship of kids, our worship of our work, our worship will always, always crush them. They're not made for it. They're They're not made for it. That's why celebrities have to go into hiding for a season. They can't bear our worship. Our kids can, our work can't. And so it is here that Jesus gets after our heart of satisfaction and takes us then to the heart of genuine worship for where we find our satisfaction will be where we uh, give our worship. But So we ask the question, well, what is genuine worship? What is true worship? And Jesus brings this out in in the text for us in this conversation. Here's the first point. Genuine worship is a pursuit. It is pursuing the right person, namely... Jesus. See, as the, the story picks up here, you said Jesus is just going right to the heart of her relationships, right to the heart of her marriages. And, and maybe you're just like, well, how, how does this conversation all fit? How is it? Why? There just seems to be making some jumps here. What does this woman's failed marital history have to do with anything? Let alone, what does it have to do with worship, the reality is everybody worships something or someone. She has uh, apparently worshiped or made an idol of marriage, of sex, of relationships here. And we don't know all the details of her life. We just kind of get it as it is given to us by the Spirit. But you can just imagine here now this woman, Jesus has just intruded into her life. She's going about her w- business. And now she's telling her that you have saw satisfaction in all the wrong people, going from man to man, marriage to marriage, until she appears at this point in her life. Uh, in her history, to just given up on God's good design for marriage altogether, the one that she has is not even her husband. Where is she seeking this satisfaction in her spouse? Where do we? Spouse, a significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, kids, friends, pets, hobbies, food, drink. But you know this church only Jesus truly satisfies. Water will satisfy temporarily. Intimacy is a fleeting uh, satisfaction, but only Jesus offers true, eternal satisfaction. The joy of knowing and growing and showing Him. Christ is pressing in. He's going, cutting straight to the heart. And maybe this morning, maybe in recent days, Christ has been doing the same in your life. Jesus has a good way of just intruding upon these uh, details of our life, doesn't he? He's pressing in uh, into a pleasure that, is, uh, that we're clinging too tightly to. He exposes things in the light of his presence as, uh, that maybe is hindering our worship or depriving him of glory. And he's bringing us to a place where we, like the woman, can acknowledge that what you have said is true see our salvation and finding satisfaction in jesus of uh, worshiping him begins by fully acknowledging that we are sinful sinners that left to ourselves we make life about ourselves and we find things in of ourselves And, and, and and she appears to be covering it up and jesus is just like very gently though very pointedly just uncovers it all right she says i have no husband Jesus is like, well, you're right, and then he just, you know, unfolds it all. She acknowledges it in a veiled way, and Jesus is like, I know all the details. And why is it that we do that, church? Why is it when we know that Jesus knows all things already? it's been a theme that John has continued to bring out in his gospel he tells that when he calls nathaniel in chapter 1 and nathaniel's skeptical about who this jesus is and he just jesus just tells him yeah before philip called you before philip you were under that fig tree he knew exactly where he, was, where, where he was and what he was doing. And, and, and Nathaniel follows Christ. At the end of chapter 2, right before the, you know, you must be born again passage, Pastor Eric preached on this, 22, 24, and 25. He, John just brings it out. I'll read it for you here. Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Does that mean, like, he just knows us? Like, he, he knows our names? No, like, really knew and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows what we've done. He knows what we've thought. He knows the the things that we think we have done in secret, and yet Christ knows it all already. Tells the woman here. Why then do we hide it? Here the woman has no fig leaves like Eve to hide. She is just left exposed before the Lord. And yet Christ doesn't push her away. He continues to press in and teach her how she should worship. And maybe this is the first step that you need to take in your pursuit of Christ today Is just acknowledging, fully acknowledging the sinfulness of your sin No need to hide, there's nothing, uh, as uh, Paul David Tripp says over and over And in many places there's nothing uh, about you that can be uncovered uh, That uh, God's grace has not already covered in Christ and it's just acknowledging. Maybe it's a conversation with the Lord now as you're pursuing it, as your face is on Christ, your back is towards your sin, and saying, uh, 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 God, these are some things I'm not proud of. I repent, I confess before you. Today may be the day of your salvation for the first time of doing it. Or maybe this is something you know you've been holding on to. To bring in to the light. And there's a conversation to have with the Lord. And maybe with your spouse. Maybe with it's a friend. Maybe it's with the, the, the guys or the gals in your small group. As so we pursue Christ leaving by uh, behind our sins. See, God loves us too much to allow us to continue to pursue anything or anyone else apart from Christ. And so he brings it to light. He brings these things to light that will leave us empty, and the Spirit will work on you until you are fully and freely pursuing Jesus and finding satisfaction in him. You need not be embarrassed. You need not be ashamed. You need not, uh, you need not try to hide it, for Christ knows it all, anyways, and loves us as his own. It's glorious. And this is the place that brings where the Lord brings us to genuine worship, allowing nothing to stand in the place, allowing nothing that we're seeking a temporary satisfaction, in, but rather that our pursuit would be in the right person in Christ alone. But it doesn't stop there. Where genuine worship is a pursuit, but it's also a being in a certain place, of being in the right place in His presence. Write this down for it's where the conversation goes. Uh, For here, he he brings out her sin and and then it seems that the woman is perplexed in verse 19, right? She she said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet and then she turns this conversation to worship at a mountain and the difference is between how the Samaritans worship at one mountain and the Jews worship at another mountain. She's like, well, how can you know this about me? You must be a prophet and then... The conversation seems to be disjointed, disconnected. I don't know if you're like me, but it's like, I I read this first, and I'm like, is she just like deflecting from the topic of conversation? Jesus bringing up her failed marital history, and she's like, yeah, 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 but uh, let's talk about the mountain over here. And she's just trying to redirect the conversation. It's like when, you know, you're having a family dinner uh, about something, and somebody brings up the topic of politics. Like, and asked the question like Well, did you, in the last presidential election, vote for Biden or vote for Trump and it's like, uh, i was like i don 't know, but how about those cowboys right who do you think they 're going to you know draft in in a in a few weeks i don 't know that that 's what the woman is doing here. there is a Direct connection for as God has uh, in Christ has come to her and exposed you since she's rightly ordered for worship by acknowledging her sin and, and pursuing Jesus. Now it raises this question well, how do I worship you? Where do I go? For in those days, worship was about this location, and ultimately there were two beliefs that clashed there. For the Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim, which was very near to where uh, they are in Sychar, and the Jews, where do they worship? In Jerusalem. In, in, in Jerusalem, just south of where they are. And we've talked uh, last week about the hostility that existed in those days between those groups and really actually uh, still exists in, in a different degree, but still exists today that went back into their history for when they were divided kingdom, and this well that was uh, important for both of them from the time of Jacob and given to uh, Joseph. Um, but there's some additional history because see what happened was is that as those uh, the two divided kingdoms, so you remember last week we talked about the north. Northern kingdom israel those 10 tribes taken captive by assyria they took some of the uh the israelites uh, with them left the poor behind and then the assyrians moved in they intermarried and now they have uh, these mixed marriages but more importantly these mixed religions that took the assyrian religion with uh, the worship of god and now it's all diluted and and perverted but the thing is uh, after that the southern uh, kingdom, Judah, which was Judah and Benjamin, those are, they're also taken captive. And they're in both in captivity for a number of years until God in His kindness opens up the door for the, God's people to come back to the promised land. It's what you'll read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. All right, And, and there, as they're coming back, they, have, they, they go to rebuild the temple and the walls and the city and all around it. If you haven't read Ezra and Nehemiah uh, lately, read it this week. Riveting. It's so encouraging. But note this. Here's just this explanation uh, that uh, John MacArthur in his commentary just says it concisely. So just let me read it here. It says, When the Jewish ex- exiles returned to Jerusalem under Ezra and Nehemiah, their first priority was to rebuild the temple. Professing loyalty to Israel's God, the Samaritans offered their assistance. This, you'll read this in Ezra 4. But the Jews' blunt refusal enraged the Samaritans who then became their bitter enemies. So hold on, end quote for a moment. They, they want to come and help. The Samaritans are, hey, we want to help do this. And the Jewish people that returned like, nope, you cannot help. Quote goes on. Rebuffed in their attempt to worship at Jerusalem, the Samaritans built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. The Jews later destroyed that temple during the intertestamental period, that between the Old and New Testaments, further worsening relations between the two groups, end quote. So you see why the hostility exists, right? Not only do you have all that that happened, then they tried to like, uh, repair uh, the relationship, so to speak, and the Israelites were just like, nope, we don't want to. And now, even though hundreds of years have continued to go on, it has only gotten worse, so much so that it has distorted their view of worship, making it more so about a location and less so about the Lord. And we've discovered as we've been through Exodus and Leviticus that there was a location aspect God promising to meet with them in the Holy of Holies there in the tabernacle. And then as they settle there in Jerusalem and build the actual temple there in the Holy of Holies, God has promised to meet with them. But see, they made it more about the location and less about the Lord. And we do this in our own life too, don't we? Even in our own culture, we make church and worship about a building. It's not about the building here or this place that we gather for for a couple hours on a Sunday morning, though this is important and this is the gathering of God's people, but worship is about God's presence. It is about a way of life, of adoring God daily, acknowledging him as we go through our day, thanking him in our thoughts, uh, discerning what is his will. Why? Because the Lord is, is everywhere and is involved in everything in our life. And so we worship him everywhere we go and in every moment of our Life. And that way when we then gather together as God's people, having walked a life of worship throughout the week, it intensifies it together as we gather as God's people, worshiping Him, giving Him our first and best on the first day of the week with these people that we love. The point that Jesus is making in all of this, and He's saying that the hour is coming and it's now here, because jesus is there because the god man is standing right there in front of them and this is the one that the father is seeking why is he seeking because he sent the son to go get them and it's jesus presence right there with her and it's his presence with us that makes us distinct Always has been the case with God's people. It's God's presence that makes us distinct. It's God's presence is where change happens, where we grow and are sanctified, where salvation happens. And thus, it's being in his presence that makes all the difference, not being in this building or that building or on this mountain or on that mountain. It's his presence. Maybe you're thinking in your mind right now, well, what does that even mean? Where is he? Can I see him? Is he like sitting next to me? What's, you know... What is all this about? Well, he makes it clear. He meets with us as we engage him in his word. As we open our Bibles and hear what the Lord has to say as he instructs us and corrects us and rebukes us and trains us and and speaks to us through our word. He meets us. He's present here in his word in this way. He's present with us as we cry out to him in prayer. As he gives us his attention, as he attunes our ear to us, as he listens to the pleas of his people, God is present as we open our Bibles, as we pray. He meets us as we talk about him, as we share the gospel, as we uh, uh, proclaim the power of God unto salvation. God's spirit accompanies that and meets with us. He meets with us as we sing to him, about him, as we lift our voices in adoration to Christ. He meets us in our singing. Does that all sound familiar, church? Because it's our pillars, right? It's what we are committed to as a church because in these things, God meets with us. His glory comes down. It is where He is present. And so we want to be where the Lord is. It's His presence. It's His glory that makes us distinct. It's what makes genuine worship and adoration all the Difference, And this is what he's getting. It's not about mountains. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's not about the decorations. It's not about uh, how we uh, uh, do all the audio and visual and lights and sound. No, it is ultimately about where he is in his presence, of pursuing him and of being with him and in so doing. As he kind of takes this passage home and this uh, teaching or this section with this woman. Genuine worship is about lifting high Christ with a certain passion, lifting high Jesus with the right passion, spirit and in truth. And repeated in these final verses of our section here is this concept. this is these bumpers of spirit and in truth. And so he comes to the lady, it's not about that. the hour is, not, or is coming it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. And in truth, it's about Jesus, it's about his presence, and it's about worshiping him in this way, spirit and in truth. And here's a piece that I love about this. See, God knows how easy it is for us to go in the ditch, right? For us to make things, to, and especially to make our life and to make worship about us. But he gave us these bumpers to keep us headed vertically, right? To, to keep us headed uh, towards him in the lifting high his name. See, true worshipers tow the line of spirit and in truth. Those who seek God this way. And we, we seek him through truth, through spirit. And God is seeking people then who get this. We seek him. He seeks us in this way. It's what he wants. And it's not an option, is it? Look at Verse 24. This is the foundational verse, one of the most clear verses on the teaching of worship in all Scripture. God is spirit, and those who worship Him, look what it says, uh, it's suggested that they worship in spirit and in truth. And we should consider right? Must. Underline that, embolden it, circle it. Must, must worship in spirit and in truth. And now these two words are more than just a style. They're more than just like an expression, right? But it, but it, it must be defined by, the passion must be defined by these two things. Terms like traditional worship, contemporary worship are foreign to scripture. It's not about when songs were written or by whom or what era or with what instruments that accompany the singing. It is about the truthfulness of the content, the true things, biblical things, theologically rich truth about God that moves us in our spirit. Not speaking of the Holy Spirit here, but of the inner man, the inner woman in all of us. And as we engage the truth, it moves us. For when we get into all these other things, there's a horizontal mindset, it's horizontal worship, and he's taking her away from that. It's not about the landscape, it's about the Lord, it's not about us, it's not about our preferences, it's not about what we get out of it, it's what God wants it's how he's instructed us to give him what rightfully belongs to him. You know, to think of it any other way or to give him worship based on us is like getting a gift that we didn't ask for, especially as we gave the other person a whole list. Like at Christmas, we give a list of Christmas gifts, right? And then you open up the gift and, uh, and you find something that you're like, I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. What, what is this? And, and the person who gave it to you is like, well, I just thought it was really cool. I would have wanted this, and so I gave it to you. It made me feel really good when I saw it on the, on the shelf, and like, oh, I didn't ask for this. I gave you this list. Why didn't you get these things uh, off, off the list? And None of you all have been in that situation, nor are you gift givers like that, right? Get the gift giving, especially at Christmas and birthdays, are about the, the recipient. Get them what they want. And this way, about the Lord, He's told us this is how we worship This is what it's about. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how it makes me or you feel it is for the Lord. He's been very clear spirit and in truth. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about the Jews. It wasn't about Israel. You know, he'll go in verse 22, looked over this, but it's important here for us it's for salvation it's from the Jews you worship what you do not know we worship what we know he's speaking to the Samaritans the Jewish people here the Samaritans didn't know the Jewish people did it's from the Jews but that word from is very different than for the Jews meaning that it's just exclusive to them obviously is it for yes but not exclusively for them it came from them Paul brings this out in Romans chapter 9. The prophets, the promises, the word, all given by special privilege to this people group for the proclamation of, of, uh, of the Christ and the Messiah would come through this genealogical line through this, these people, but it was never about them. Israel is not the one being lifted high. The Jewish people are not the ones being lifted high. Jesus is. And he would come from them. And we get hung up here as well far too often thinking that worship is for us, for our feelings, for what we get out of it. But note this church, worship is always and only for and about Jesus. And he tells us very plainly in these verses how he's to be worshipped. And that's our passion kind of the whole mind-boggling grace uh, saturated thing with this whole thing as we get this right and we go vertical in our worship lifting him high in spirit and in truth then we do receive something from it, don't we? But we get reordered or re- in the ditch when we get that or, uh, wrong order in our life. But we do, we are filled up, we do have an unspeakable joy as we go north, as we go vertical in the Lord. And we have to watch out for this. You've heard me use the dial uh, thing in different, uh, co- uh, different contexts as well, but we want to go vertical, spirit and in truth. And if we're always on the truth side, it's truth, 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 that's good. But we can go far too far on the truth side and just have this orthodox nonchalance about the things of the Lord. True in all our content, but our engagement with us is funeral-like. Singing, holy, 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 or my wealth is in the cross as if it means nothing. True things about God, but it isn't moving us in our spirit. The same way we don't go to the other side of this kind of like enthusiastic nonsense where it's all about our emotions. It's big and it's wild. It's like a concert and all that. And yet we're singing just cotton candy versus the true meats of the scripture. And God in his wisdom just gives us a vision for something vertical. Truth that moves us. Vertical, genuine, true worship. And God is seeking out those who get it. Not in just the way that we uh, sing, but in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we read our Bibles, in the way that we go about our, uh, our life. God comes to us and reorders our thinking. He engages us with the truth and, and leads us in a way that brings Him much glory, and we get transformed. That's what happens at the well. That's what happens in this uh, section here. As Jesus approaches this Samaritan woman, He reorders her heart first getting to the point of her satisfaction, getting to, the, uh, the, to her to acknowledge that she is a sinful woman as she's, and as she's made aware of the truth of her sin, that the Messiah is all-knowing, then what does He reveal to her in, the final, in His final statement to her? I who speak to you am. He is inserted here. But this is a moment, a burning bush like moment, where she is now encountering God. He is the Messiah. And in the same way that he, in chapter one he reveals to Peter and Andrew, he's the Messiah. I who speak to you am substitute, God incarnate, the long-awaited rescuer, the only one worthy of our worship, Are all-out, no-holding-back, genuine worship is there in front of her, and it turns her life completely upside down. How she views herself, how she views her culture and the place where she lives, how she views her God. The same is true of us as God reorders our heart Turning things upside down, totally changing the way that we view ourselves, our culture, and our God. And Jesus is pretty good at that, isn't he? He's pretty good at that as he brings the truth before us, as he encounters us. He's so good at reordering our heart, reorienting our thinking, and reverticalizing it's a new word our worship. Pretty good at that.